0: morning. How are you? Oh, it's good to see you all. That was fun seeing Pastor Ross there. Yeah? So I, I have an underlying motive for him to get well. <laughs> I can quit. <laughs> uh, you know, um, we have uh, uh, the Mexico um, outreach that we did a few weeks ago. We're going to be sharing a little bit about that on Wednesday as well. I'll give you a little update. But it's through the Word of God as well. We go through the book of Acts. Um, we're going to share about Jordan Skyle, and he's he's on his way to the Middle East, uh, and so we uh, so we you know we're going to let him hang out with some family members that are very good friends of ours in a in a closed country, so we really can't say the name of it, uh, and so we're going to have to whitewash his name off the internet. So all kinds of good stuff, right, Jordan? So that's that's we're going to share a little bit about that on Wednesday, and of course the food. Oh my goodness, you know. I, I just request um, some, maybe some chimichangas. Anybody can bring <laughs> some? It, it, the funny thing about it, I was um, uh, last week, one of the uh, Eric and I'm sorry, Amy and Rick brought some vegetables. And they had these bell peppers. And, and, uh, and so they brought them and gave it to us. And so I was chopping one up. And I put it in my omelet and, and I ate it. And I realized it's not a bell pepper. Well, that was fire. fire. And so I'm not that kind of a guy, so don't put the fire in the Mexican food, you know. And so, uh, and, and the funny thing about it is, I left the cutting board out there, and my wife made a peanut butter jelly for our little girl Brianna, and when she took a bite of her peanut butter jelly sour, she she's like, ah! You know, so i was like, "Oh my goodness!" And so, uh, it was funny because I, Brianna shared that story with Gary and Lisa Olson, and so Gary picked out some peppers from his garden that were like the worst kind of fire that you can think about and put him in a bag and he says, Oh, I didn't realize that Pastor Bond liked fire. He, I, I don't. But he so he gave it to me. So I gave him to Adam, Pastor Adam. And then Pastor Adam had his wife kind of, you know, look at it and was going to chop it up and real she got it on her hand and she was like, it is hot, you know, and she she's like, how do you get this off? And I'm like, yeah, that was hotter than what I ate. So you gotta be careful. Because I ended up touching my eye and I realized, oh wow. How long does it take to flush the eyeball out? <laughs> and it took a long time. Anyways, uh, so Mexican food is on the list there. And so on the back, inside the foyer there, my wife's back there, and you can sign up afterwards if you want to bring a Mexican dish. So that's this Wednesday. I go through the Word of God. We're in the Book of Acts, and so we should have a lot of fun. Amen? So um, also a lot of things going on. Awana, we need your help. Uh, it's actually happening right now. If you want to walk out and go help out with that right now, I would not judge you. I will not judge you. And so, yeah, so we need a lot of help in these areas. Um, So if God puts it in your heart with children's ministry, with high school ministry, and, you know, if you can run, jump, yell, hear, we just need to be able to sit and listen to people, you know, uh, do their memorizations and uh, all kinds of activities going on. So uh, we need your help. Amen? All right, we are in Genesis chapter three. We have come as far as verse fifteen, uh, and so this verse fifteen is such an amazing verse. Uh, it's known as the protoevangelium. It is the first time the gospel message is presented, uh, and so proto is the first. It means first, and then evangelium means everlasting message of salvation, and so. We're gonna dive into it at this particular time. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you again for your mercies; they're new every morning. We thank you for the word uh, that you've given to us, so that we can learn of you and know you. We pray that we would do that; that we would know you, Lord Jesus; that we would know you far better than when we came in through these doors, Lord. And Uh, We ask that by your spirit that you would speak to us, that you would do that spiritual operation in our hearts and in our thoughts, that we would see Jesus. And Jesus, we magnify you, we praise you, and uh, we lift you on high and ask that you would just be here with us right now, Jesus. In your name we pray, Amen. 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 Well, Genesis chapter 3, verse Uh, 15 says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, as you work your way through the scriptures, this whole scene becomes very clear. Here's the woman who, by the way, this is such an interesting verse because it speaks of her seed, which is not Normal in this kind of literature during Moses time and even for you know hundreds of years to come They don't write about the woman's seed and so here is already a picture of Jesus speaking of the virgin birth and it's powerful and so her seed now would continue in producing children and so this these this warfare takes place by the devil It's between the enmity between the devil and the woman, and the devil goes at the woman. That's what the whole Cain and Abel scene is all about, Cain killing Abel, and if you fast forward later on to Moses in Egypt, there's Pharaoh killing the seed of the woman, and all these men, especially out of the nation of Israel, uh, by this woman's seed will produce the nation of Israel, will produce Abraham, of course, is the the father of the nation, then Jacob, then the 12 tribes, and then ultimately Jesus Christ. And so this whole um, war takes place with the devil trying to kill that bloodline. So you you get to chapter 6 of Genesis and that spooky chapter where the demonic influence is so high and so powerful, uh, and, and there God has to reset and start all over because the devil wanted to destroy Mankind. And then you go further in, you see in the book of Esther, you see Haman trying to kill the seed, trying to kill the Jews. And so that whole episode of Esther redeeming or saving that uh, the the nation of Israel. And then all the way to Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, you see Herod killing every child that's two years and older in Bethlehem. And so, and then it also continues with Hitler killing 6 million Jews, and then also uh, we know in the book of Revelation, in Revelation uh, chapter 12, there's a battle scene of the devil going after the nation of Israel called the woman. And so really you see it very clear there in the book of Revelation, the head-to-head, because it focuses it down into Mary, who produces Jesus, who saves mankind. So that's what's happening here and says there in between your offspring and hers, uh, and he will crush your head, speaking of uh, Jesus, uh, destroying Satan's authority and power. And then it says there that Satan will strike his heel by putting him on the cross. Now, it's interesting that if you think about that time at the cross when Jesus was dying for the sins of the world... That when he finally breathed his last, he yelled out, it is finished. The idea behind that is that he has completed the sacrificial payment for us. So he yells out, it is finished, and he breathes his last. But the devil put up his hands in victory, thinking that he had won. And so he had bit the hill of the Messiah and put him on the cross. So he thought he was victorious. But Jesus, who knew no sin, was able to defeat death. So on the third day, rises from the grave and steps on the authority and the head of Satan and crushes his authority. And so can you imagine the principalities and wickedness and and the devil himself at this moment when Jesus defeats death All of a sudden, he's like, oh no. You know, just the shaking going, oh no. You know, it says there that he made a spectacle of the principalities because they no longer have that power and that authority. So, this is all in chapter 3, verse 15. Quite amazing. We'll get back to that. We'll come back to that in a moment. But let me get you caught up. So, Genesis chapter 1 speaks of creation. We see the day 1 through 6. Uh, just a really brief information regarding that. They, uh, and you get into chapter 2. Day 6 is the focal point. And day 6 uh, begins to speak about man and woman. The crowning of creation. And it must have been so spectacular. No sin No unwinding of creation, no second law of dynamics, the colors, the beauty, and everything was made in perfection. And then there was a command given to man. By the way, before the woman was created, listen to the command, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, of chapter 2, Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from the tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, after that, the man is given the creation. Man gets, he, he, he has this amazing opportunity to name all the animals, and then the woman is created from the side of the man, not of the dust. And it was just shown an order that God set up on earth, and we looked at that last week, uh, a beautiful order but in chapter 3 now we see this order is going to be messed up <laughs> we're going to see a serpent a real snake who's possessed by the do- devil speaking to the woman convincing her to take the fruit and eat of it she gives it to her husband adam he takes it for we don't know we don't know the reasons why but he takes it and eats of it and then instantly, this command is put into place. Death is on its way. And everything, everything is broken up. Animals begin to eat each other. The second law of thermodynamics come into play. Everything in our universe winds down. Whatever man can see, whether it's through telescope or with the natural eye, everything is decaying. And so we, we shared about that last week. You want to get that steady you can get it there on YouTube or on the app at Calvary Chapel, The Rock. And so, so let's, you know, everything we see that is, uh, that is wrong in this world is a result of breaking of God's commandment. Thousands of years later, we still see the effects of sin. Sickness, cancer, disease, depression, emptiness, suicide, brokenness, loneliness, toil, and more. And finally, death. It all begins on chapter 3, this particular day. But it goes on now in verse 8 of chapter 3. It says this, "...then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden." Now, it's interesting when you have sinned against God, how much guilt comes into your, your conscience. And you're separated from God now. And here we find man running from God. Man and woman, they run from God and they're hiding from God. And it's still the same truth today. We're still running from God and hiding from Him. It takes a supernatural work of God to come and reach us where we're at. And so we see the first missionary act. God coming to a sinful man and asking, where are you? That's what he says there in, uh, in verse 9. He says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And I ended last week with that sermon saying, where are you today? Because it's the same phrase that he says to every single one of us and everyone that has responded to him heard his voice. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says, there's no one who seeks after God, not one. It's the supernatural work of God that comes and initiates the relationship with us. And it's beautiful and it's glorious. But here, Adam and Eve, the response here, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, Adam answering this, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, of course, we know that uh, God knew exactly where Adam and Eve was. The idea behind their is that he's trying to bring about repentance. Where are you is a rhetorical and is designed to prompt Adam to consider his wrongdoing. There will be no possibility for reconciliation if the guilty are unwilling to confess their deeds. So God makes a way and says, where are you? We've all heard that cry. We've all had an altar call experience. When my pastor gave the altar call, I had to come up to the front here. You know, we usually just say, raise your hand here, but I came up to the front and the pastor said, Why are you up here? Oh my goodness, are you really going to ask me that question? I'm a sinner and I'm in need of Jesus. Good answer. Let's pray for you now. And so that was, so we all experience a where are you moment with God. Now, verse 12 goes on. It says this The man said, uh, The woman, uh, now, of course, this blame game, watch this, God's responding to the man and the woman, and he says, okay, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So blaming God, God, you put the woman here, and she made me eat of it. And so this whole blame game, not taking uh, the responsibility of your sins and confessing them before God. Um, Many years ago, I would remember in, in in a town that I was in, uh, there was a court hearing going on. Uh, the man said, I ate too many Twinkies, so it caused me to you know, to break into the store and, and rob it and whatnot. And so the jury said, yeah, we agree. That was too much sugar in your system. We're like, what? <laughs> you know, take, res- take a little bit of the responsibility. You did the act. By the way, he got away with it. And so it goes on that here's the blame game, blaming the woman. Now watch what the woman does, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman... What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So, you know, just blaming everybody. In verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat the dust all the days of your lives. Sin has to be dealt with. The righteous judge comes and hands out the verdict guilty. He gets that gavel and guilty. And now the penal- penalty phase comes into play. And so now there's the, the judgment that's being uh, spoken to all the individuals. First we'll see to the snake who allowed the devil to possess him, which just brings up so many interesting questions. And then we will see the serpent next and the woman, and then finally the man. So here we see the serpent has to crawl on its belly and it will have to eat dust for all its life. And that's the humility that's given to him for the very act. And it's interesting because it's exactly what you see today in the, in the snake realm, right? The reptile realm. The snakes are running around. So they're just really on their belly. And it shows that it's not allegoric. There was something strange happening there. And whatever happened, it caused this judgment to fall upon the snake. Now, The text this morning, Genesis 3.15, it says here, now he's going to speak to the devil, the one that was behind the snake who really caused the woman to be tricked and eaten the fruit. And it says there in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heels. Now, this is quite amazing and the fact that man had sinned, and instantly God sends a redemptive plan. And that's amazing grace. He should have judged out death instantly, but instead he put forth a plan to save mankind. And so he shares this whole story here from the get-go to us that we could see that God is in charge, and God loves us, and He's going to save us. And so He tells us here that the war that's going to be, ta- the war is going to take place between the snake and the woman, and the seeds of mankind, but specifically her seed. Speaking of Jesus Christ, now uh, John chapter eight forty four describes this because we know that this does not mean that Satan literally had biological descendants. But it's those who follow him, those who hate the work of Christ, and those who hate the person of Jesus. Look at what Jesus says to the religious leaders in John chapter 8, verse 44, and it teaches us a lot here. It says this Jesus says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here he places two categories. You either belong to Jesus or you belong to the devil. Sad to say, isn't it? And that's what happened when sin came in. Sin separated us, so we are under the devil's wishes and commands. But then Jesus comes in and begins to operate in our soul, And then we place ourselves under Jesus and his control by asking him to come into our lives. So two categories are on planet earth. Those who belong with Jesus and those who belong to the devil. And those are the two only categories. And you can move yourself from one column to the other. Speaking of the devil's column to the the column of Jesus by simply asking him to come into your life and be saved. And so that's what's happening here in this whole scene in verse three, uh, t- verse 15 in chapter 3. Now, let's continue, verse 16. It says, To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pains you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, giving birth will now be a traumatic and a harrowing experience for most women. You know, I remember when we were, when we, Bri- my, my wife was having Brianna, and I remember it was a long, laborious uh, situation, two days, and, and, you know, and on the second, you know, walk, we were walking on the street, trying to, you know, loosen her up, and, you know, and then, you know, early in the morning, we wake up, and we go to the hospital, and, and we're there the whole day. And it's not until almost midnight that she's born. And I, I remember, my feet were tired, I was hungry, and I, I'm not saying a thing. <laughs> not compared to what my wife is going through. You just hush up there, Bond. You know, she is going through way more. And I, you know, for, for, you know, I think for years I never told her you know, that I was tired, I was hungry, because I understood what she was going through. And so the most traumatic... You know, uh, you know, delivery of this child was such a traumatic, you know, painful event. And so uh, it's interesting because the Bible uses that term to speak about the coming of Jesus, right? Uh, and the Bible wishes to express severe trouble. It, it will often describe it in terms of a woman undergoing the pains of childbirth. Now, this section here where it says your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. It's the second part that we come to understand the first part. And that is this, is that in the second chapter of Genesis, we learned that there was order. There was God, the, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, man, woman. And so that we see this order laid out. And so there is a submissive role. And so it was a, a, a marriage made with perfection because in it it was equality. There was decision-making with you know, your partner, your, your helper. Uh, and so this changed at the fall. And because of the sin and the selfishness and self-centeredness, this all broke apart here. And now the woman wants to take the role of the man and push him under. And God is saying, no, nope, that isn't going to happen. He will rule over you. And not in a good way. It isn't until Jesus comes back that he fixes that whole situation again. Whereas instead of the man demanding, the man takes his proper order by loving, right? Jesus says to us men, he says, love your wife as I love the church. And what did Jesus do for the church? He gave everything up for the church and died for the church, you and I. So husbands... What are you to do for your wife? Yeah, die. <laughs> that means your self-centered interest now becomes hers. You want to give your you want to think of her best interest always in making decisions. And by the way, if you're thinking of her best interest and loving her as Christ loves the church, she will easily submit her life to you as God says. She would love to submit to that kind of leadership the problem it was broken and here it is broken but now christ jesus fixes that and now we have these beautiful marriages yeah there's friction because we're living in a human body still we have selfish desire so there's friction but the holy spirit's working on that right men and women (laughs) so that's what's happening here that's that's what you're seeing here your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, let's continue now in verse 17. It says there to Adam, he said, now he's, now he's going to promote, uh, I should say he's going to declare the judgment upon Adam. Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Thanks, Adam. Through painful toil, you will eat all the days of your life. Thank you, Adam, (laughs) because it doesn't matter what occupation you have, you are still struggling. It says there, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field, the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken... For dust you are, and dust you shall return. Now it's interesting. It doesn't matter what kind of occupation you uh, you're you know that you have, whether you're a scientist or a doctor or a teacher or hard labor. You're, uh, you know that it's still a struggle. You still got to work with the sweat of your brow. You can work for Google. You're still gonna sweat it out. I love my job as a pastor and, and teaching God's word and meeting with people. and count. I absolutely love it. But it's still the sweat of my brow. It's hard. i got to get up in the morning. i gotta, I got to check in and see what's going on. It's, it's still today. And that's what happened at the fall of mankind. It, and and we're, we're, we're just, you know, then at the very end here, it says this. It says that you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return the death penalty every single man and woman who sins against God receives the death penalty it's been laid on us because of sin it's the punishment for sin And you know people get all upset at God because of this and and I think he's fair I said, if someone molested my girl, man, it's going to go down. <laughs> you know, I, I want the death penalty for that guy or whoever. You know, I, that's I, you may disagree, but I want serious. I want a judgment done. But then when we ask God to judge us, we're like, oh no, he, you can't do that, God, because you're the God of love. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He's more just than we are. He's more righteous in his decision-making than we are, but yet we are so offended when God gives us the death penalty. But listen, it's actually even worse. There's another dimension that we move to after death. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So it's just not that we go to the grave, but we go to the next dimension. And the Bible says it's heaven or hell. Two, you get to choose with your free will because Jesus made a way to pay for our sins, our rebellious act. And so there's two dimensions. By the way, you know, when you, I've been running into a lot of uh, people, even in this church, and you know, I'm a philosopher, and so I, you know, and they give me all this spill, and then, you know, I'm an intellectual, so I, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, I hate, I hate bringing up a conversation that goes in that realm because then I got to sit there for a couple hours trying to hear them and then discuss it. And so I'm an intellectual, and I don't can't receive them. I go, if you're an intellectual, then you should look at you know, the truth of the matter is that if you believe you evolved, you only had two choices, right? You either have God or you have, you know, evolution, creation or evolution. You know, and I'm like, you know, for evolution, there's millions of years that can't speak to us. Millions of years that we can't read in science. And you want to tell me to believe in those millions of years? I go, that's not very Intellectual. You know, and there had to be a creator to create what we see. This, you know, in Genesis chapter one. Go back and listen to. It. I just, I just dropped the bomb. You know, I just tell it like it is. Creation speaks loud and clear of a creator, and it's God. Now listen to what God did. God you know, and, and you know, when, when they're philosophing, you know, with me, and they're, they're telling me, they're like, well, I believe that we're part of this earth and we're one, and so when we die, we just go into, the, you know, this space dust and whatever, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 no. God died on the cross, went to the grave, rose from the grave, and told us exactly what's going to happen after death. Who else has done that? No one. No one has the rights to tell you what happens after death. Jesus does. He knows exactly what's going to happen because he did it. So don't give me your philosophy. Don't give me your intellectual. <laughs> I want facts. I want evidence. I want someone who's been there and done it. <laughs> Amen? So heaven or hell, you, you know, the dimensions there. Now, it's interesting. I was speaking of death I was reading uh, a sermon written in 1621 uh, by a man by the name of Ralph Benning, and he wrote this, the plague of plagues, and I thought, oh, it must have been, you know, one of the viruses that hit at his time, and, he, and so I said, this is going to be interesting, so I read it, it he had a, a five sermons based on this, the plague of plagues, and so he, he writes, and it's based on Romans chapter 5, verse 12, uh, let me read that to you, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. So this, this you know, preacher, Ralph, here writes the plague of plagues. And so this other writer comes in and he updates it. And he, let, read it let me read it to you. He goes, the plague of plagues... It says there, while the variant of COVID-19 is on the spotlight, acting the lead role of a villain, there is a more deadlier and contagious problem than COVID-19 on the loose. It has stolen, destroyed, and killed so many lives and devastated families since the dawn of mankind. What is the plague of plagues? It is the sin of mankind which eventually results in death. The ever-increasing COVID-19 death total truly scares us. But little do we realize what the worldwide death rate is. Listen to this. 1.80 people die per second. That's almost two. 108 die every minute. Almost 6,392 die every hour. 1,000, I mean 153,000 424 perish every day. These statistics are shocking, aren't they? We are all living in a fallen, infectious, contaminated world dominated by sin. Who has contracted the virus? The symptom of sin may or may not be visible to the outside. But every single man on earth has tested positive for the sin, says the scripture there is traces of it in our head, our heart, and hands, and it is effects cross-cut through our body, soul, and spirit. The mortality rate of sin is 100%, and all people who has contracted, uh, con- contracted the sin virus will eventually die. No one is immune, and no one can escape from the ultimate plague of sin and death. Oh, my. Jesus, will you save us? Isn't that weird that we have this picture of people dying from this crazy COVID virus, but yet people have been dying, more people dying from sin? That's why we need Jesus. Verse 20 is a very, it says this, uh, verse 21 is a very powerful verse, but listen to verse 20. Verse 20 says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. Verse 21, listen to this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. That's such an interesting verse right here in the the, the midst of this text. Here's God. He says to Adam and Eve, your fig leaves there, not good enough for covering. Take it off. Why did they cover themselves? Because of guilt. Their conscience, they saw themselves naked. Somehow they lost the righteousness that was, just, it was a beautiful righteousness that covered them. It's gone. So they covered their sin. That's the, that's the first act of religion. Religion is trying to reach God on your own terms. Godliness or Christianity is God reaching down to man. So God says, those big bleeds, they don't do it. Take them off. I'm going to cover you with some animal skin. He had to sacrifice, listen to this. God had to sacrifice animals to cover their sin. What animal do you think he used? Can't be dogmatic, but I think it was a lamb. The reason why is because in the next chapter, there's these two sons of Adam and Eve, they come up with sacrifices, one comes with a lamb. Who taught him that? Who told him that? To bring a sacrifice of a lamb to God. By the way, God was well pleased with that sacrifice. Who told him that? I think God is painting a beautiful picture here. And he's showing this lamb, who is a sacrifice, would one day have to be the lamb of God, sacrificing for the sins of the world. So you fast forward and you find that Here's Moses delivering the people out of Egypt and he says we must take a lamb and we must sacrifice it and take the sacrifice it take the blood and put it on the doorpost. You remember that? Passover so the angel passes over every house that had the blood applied. What was God doing? He was building a picture. Blood had to be applied for your sins. Then later on in the wilderness God tells him some detail. Moses, he, he speaks to Moses, he says, write this down. You need to take a lamb and offer it for the sins of the nation Israel. And then you need to take a lamb individually for your sins. And then when you sacrifice the lamb, you have to put your hand on it and act in your mind as if your sins were being applied to the lamb. And then you would sacrifice it. Now notice what Hebrews says here. In chapter 9, verse 22, it says this, "...when Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water and scarlet and uh, uh, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop and sprinkled and scrolled on all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremony." In fact, now this is it, verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. There's no forgiveness unless there's shedding of blood. Something has to die. John the Baptist now is fast forwarded, and John the Baptist is out on the Jordan baptizing people to a, 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 a repentance. Come here, show yourself that you really want to hear from God, that you really want to change and get baptized, and people were doing that. And all of a sudden, Jesus is walking along the shoreline, and what does John the Baptist say? He points his finger at Jesus, and he says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. So everybody that was Jewish understood exactly what John the Baptist was saying. The picture that had been painted for centuries is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All the way back here in Genesis, after the fall, it's being spoken of. uh, That Jesus Christ would come and pay for the sins of the world. And that's amazing. That's amazing grace. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. Let's read verse 22. It says there, and the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Uh, and, and God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Notice this. Not spoken in irony, as in gen- generally supposed, but in deep compassion. The words should be rendered, Behold, what has become by sin of the man was one of us formed at first in our image to know good and evil how sad his condition now that's the idea it isn't that adam is experiencing evil like god would experience evil god never experienced evil that's not the 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 phrase there what's being said is that man blew it he was made in our image and look how far he's fallen and i feel sorry for him that's the idea there in verse 22 and now verse 23 so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden notice chased him out of the garden of Eden to work on the ground from which he had been taken and after he drove the man out look at this he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life they have no access To the tree of life in the state that they're in. And that's love and mercy. Can you imagine living in sin, living forever and ever? What we're experiencing today loneliness, depression, death. Can you imagine? Well, before death, if you live forever, that hard life being lived out forever and ever, no way. Who could imagine? So God set the angels forth said, You're, you no longer have access here. Now, after the flood, the tree of life is moved. We see it into heaven. In Revelation 22, it says there, when we come into heaven, we'll have access to the tree of life and we all eat and we live forever. And it goes on to say in that same chapter, no more sorrow, no more pain. I, my my brother is, uh, he's intubated right now in San Diego. He has COVID and He had underlying uh, issues, and so these under underlying issues caught up to him, and so he's there, you know. And so we're praying for a miracle. It's the exact same stage that Pastor Ross is going to. And Pastor Ross texts me and he says, "I know that God has another miracle up His sleeve, you know. We're we're we're, the odds are against him, but we're praying for a miracle." Listen to this: when we're in heaven, eating the tree of life, no more COVID no more COVID, no more death. Pastor Ross's wife, Barb, his sister is on fourth stage cancer. She's going to die. They said that there's no help unless God intervenes. You know, there's absolutely no help. And so she wrote one of the most amazing texts. She said, all my life, I prepared to meet my savior. And now it's time. And that just, that rocked me. That really killed me. You know, I'm like, yes. Yeah, all our lives we've been planning for this day. And she says, I've been waiting, and I've been ready. And then she said, the only reason why I want to extend my life is that I can be with my family, hopefully through the holidays. And that just rocked me. You know, no more cancer. No more loneliness. No more toil. We're all set free. I think of all the pain and all the suffering the devil brought into the scene, I think of all the craziness of life that man introduced to the scene by his rebellion. And I ask myself two questions. If God knew all this was going to take place, then why did he allow them to continue? Why 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 did he ever create the devil and allow him to continue? Or man, why didn't he just reset and start over? I have a couple answers. I don't know if they're suitable, but the first one is this that you are worth it. That you would love God with your free will, that you would love him with all your heart, might, and soul. That's worth it to God. On our end, on our end, we would see God in his great love in a more greater and meaningful way. Think about this. When the heavens and the earth was created and given to Adam... And he gets to share it with his wife, Eve. It was magnificent. It was perfect. And they realize, wow, look what God gave to us. He loves us. But then they rebel against God, and they're separated by God for the very first time. They don't have that relationship like they once had. And when they die, they go to a waiting place in hell. In Luke 16, there's a description of hell there. There's two compartments. One is called Abraham's bosom, and the other one is for those who choose not to repent and give their lives to God. It's the same area of hell, but two compartments. Adam and Eve end up there, and every saint after them goes there. So you have, you know, Cain, I mean, I'm sorry, Abel, Seth, you have Abraham, you have King David, they're all there. And they're all looking at Adam going, what's your problem, bro? You know, what the heck did you do? And Adam and Eve's heart are broken because they're in this compartment in hell. Wondering when is it that they'll be set free or if even they will be set free. And all of a sudden years go by and then Jesus Christ goes on the cross and dies for their sins, all sins. And he goes into the, after his death, burial, and resurrection, he goes into the center of the earth, and he sets captivity captive free. Listen, he shows up right before Adam and Eve. And what do you think Adam and Eve experiences? Jesus, you walked in the garden with us. You created us for your good pleasure. You gave all this because you loved us. And now you've come to planet earth to pay for our wretched sin, oh, the depths of God's love is seen in a far greater way. The experience of love is experienced in a far deep, deeper and more meaningful way. I think for us, listen, when any tragedy happens or any you know, negative thing happens, we can't sit there and wave our fist at God and say he doesn't love us. His love was demonstrated on the cross for us. He went to the cross for you and I. That demonstrates far greater love than any situation that you could experience on earth. And listen to this. This just blows my mind. What happened before and after the death, uh, you know, separation, this is what happened. We're the bride of Christ now. That couldn't have taken place in a more deeper, and a more meaningful way, we are the bride of Christ. A relationship that we get to experience that Adam and Eve didn't get to experience when they were created. And that is beautiful. That is so glorious. I want to read in closing a sermon that was written by Dr. S.M. Lockridge. He was a pastor in San Diego, but he he went and taught in Detroit in 1976 and, uh, and and he said these beautiful things regarding Jesus he's the miracle of the age he's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him he is the only one able to he's supply a
1: king of the Jews. Yeah. he's a king of Israel he's a king of righteousness he's a king of the ages he's a king of heaven he's a king of glory he's a king of kings and he is a lord of lords now that's my king do you know him no means of measure can define his limitless love well well he's internally strong he's entirely sincere he's eternally steadfast he's immortally grateful He's impurely powerful, and he's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the people. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable, he's indescribable, yeah. he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been. And he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. You can't even seek him and he's <laughs> not gonna resign. That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah. Do you know him? <laughs> This morning, as he is speaking to us powerfully, I, I pray that if you don't know him, you would come to know him this very hour. And for all of us that do know him, how encouraging that he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he was thinking about you way back here in Genesis chapter 3. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and let's stand, and we'll praise the Lord and, and pray. Lord Jesus. We come to you humbly as our King, as our Lord and our Savior. You're our righteousness. Lord, you're our Redeemer. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that this morning you would call them to yourself, Lord Jesus, that they would give their lives to you freely. And for us that do know you, Lord, we worship you. We raise our hands and our hearts to you as King of King and Lord of Lords. And we're so thankful for you, Lord. I pray for those that are sick. I pray for those that need your healing touch right now, Lord, that had a bout with COVID and their lungs and their energy is, are, are running so low. I pray for your power upon them right now, Lord Jesus. I pray for those that are in the hospital that we know that you would intervene and rescue, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that this world would come to know you as the Lord and King. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's worship the Lord. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.